Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Alex Brennan Martin and Markin Gaspol from Brennan's of Houston coming up in a little bit. But first, I am joined by my co-host this week, making his first appearance on the show. He is the... Lenny, what's your title? I'm sorry. Well, Eric, so CMO sounds so clinical. So I just tell people, like, I just prefer, like, you know, St. Arnold guy or whatever. All right. He's, At- he's the other guy from St. Arnold. Everybody knows Brock <laughs> Wagner. Right. This is the other guy, the guy behind the guy. Lenny Ambrose. Way down the list. Way down the list. Welcome to the show. How are you? Um, I'm good, man. You know, uh, we're all just living day to day, not knowing what comes up next. Not that we don't ever know what is coming up in the next day, but I feel like it's even less certain. At least you could say, you know, this weekend I've got these great dinner plans. I've got this big birthday party. But now we just have no clue. <laughs> right. I, I'm, I've got Astros tickets for next week, or yeah. I've got this awesome concert I'm looking forward to. Nope. No, you don't. Yeah. You don't have any of that. All right. Well, let us dive right into the news of the week, because topic number one relates directly to St. Arnold, Yeah. which is that last week, the Texas Alcoholic Beverage Commission told you guys that you can't operate your restaurant anymore because when they calculated the percentage of revenue that comes from alcohol sales, they have decided to count all of the beer you sell out your back door via distributors to bars, restaurants, grocery stores, liquor stores, all of that as part of your percentage of sales. So that means that you're wildly over the 50% threshold. Uh, This had not been the case until last week. And I mean, frankly, it, it strikes me as a little bit bizarre. Um, so let me just throw it to you. I mean, did they, did TVC offer St. Arnold like any explanation for why they made this change? Um, no. And, and um, I, I guess let's start with, I think it is easy to make TABC within the brewing industry and bar and restaurant industry. Um, you know, it's all the same sort of this faceless specter off in the distance to just, you know, throw, uh, throw under the bus, if you will, um, at any turn. Um, I will say that actually this may be an unpopular opinion, but in the last few years, the TABC has undergone a big change and, um, has actually been great to work with. Um, they'll call you back. They'll give you answers on things. They'll write things in emails, which was never the case before. Um, so actually we do not blame them for this, this, this time around, they came to us and basically said, we have received a new interpretation and we are being told to enforce it. And the TABC will outwardly tell you, we don't make policy. We enforce it to the best of our ability. Um, so they basically came to us and said, you need to shut down. This is a a new interpretation. We had a couple days hint that that might happen. Um, And one of the many bizarre things to us is 
that it's not like this serves some great public interest. Uh, St. Arnold is not trying to skirt any laws or think we should be open when other people aren't. Um, it's just basically we run a restaurant and it was okay the first time and we're operating well under the you know caps that we can um, operate under anyway. We haven't even opened up the inside of our restaurant. Um, but it, it just came out of nowhere and we feel like we've been doing things safely. And again, it really affects maybe three to four breweries total in the state. So that was another reason, like if they had come to us and said, you know, hey, it's like these nightclubs, we're seeing breweries packed all over the place. And we really think it's going to save lives, save, uh, you know, positive cases to shut them down. We would have definitely heard that, but it wasn't like that at all. So, you know, there, there's some, um, I think, a tendency to think strange things are afoot, if you will but we have never gotten a real answer on why all of a sudden there was that uh, new interpretation to the law. Yeah, it's not really obvious like why whoever is responsible for issuing this new interpretation would have made it so suddenly, as you said, you know, St. Arnold is not the problem. You have a big, essentially outdoor beer garden with tables that are spaced out and people having a good time. And then sort of beyond that, like, it's not really clear who this benefits, you know, like you could, it's easy to sort of, like you said, it's easy to sort of blame TABC as the anonymous boogeyman. It's easy to blame, you know, the distribution companies as the anonymous boogeyman. But, you know, those guys have got to be making a pretty good, you know, revenue with all the retail sales, right? I mean, retail sales are up statewide. So definitely. And, And I'll say Silver Eagle has supported us and they actually sent out an internal memo asking all of their employees to email the governor's office and to support us in that fight. So our own distributor is, is for us. Um, and I, I suppose if anybody, you know, could maybe gain, it would be, well, I've got to have my St. Arnold beer. So I've got to go get it somewhere else. I can't get it from the brewery or something like that. I mean, we can still, still sell beer to go, but Again, we've never really been able to get an answer at all. Um, So hopefully that will change for us. But also, you know, we want to see all small breweries open around the state. Um, They're dropping quickly. Um, And there's some various proposals, you know, stuff from the TRA, uh, Texas Restaurant Association, stuff from uh, our uh, Texas Craft Brewers Guild as well to try to get more small breweries open because we were all definitely not the problem the first time around. Right. Right. So I, I guess how, so, I mean, St. Arnold's restaurant is still open for to go. Yeah. You're still selling beer to go. So really this, I mean, the big losers in this situation are the, all the servers, right. And all the people who 100 just lost their job because now they, they don't have customers anymore. And that's honestly, it, it is really not in St. Arnold's um, nature as a company to really go hard on a political issue unless it really deals with beer. So we did some a pretty heavy social media push, basically just calling out Governor Abbott, um, partially because we couldn't get an answer from their office. So, you know, why is Governor Abbott costing people jobs? which was, um, again, different from anything else that we've approached, at least in my tenure there. 
And um, honestly, we were not making a ton of cash having dine-in open at the brewery. Again, like I said, we had everything very much spaced and we were only open outside. It was a way for us to keep people employed. And now we don't really have that avenue anymore. We're trying to pepper people in for the, you know, sort of meager to go business. Um, but I, someone said, you know, early on in this, I think it may have even been Terrence Gallivan, formerly of Passing Revisions, but, you know, he was kind of glad he was out of the restaurant industry because it's like everybody is begging people to come in every single day to the restaurant. Look at this pizza we got. Look at this sandwich. <laughs> oh my God, look at this new thing. You got to come. C- come on, get to go. Um, so that, you know, that's, that's what we're doing now. Um, you know, I'm proud of the food we have, but it's uh, not exactly the best position to be in. Right. So is there anything that people who are listening to this podcast can do? I mean, contact contact Governor Abbott. I guess that's kind of the, the short answer. Yeah. You know, visit our social media. We have links on our website and just keep emailing. Um, hopefully it will be resolved soon. Again, not just for us and breweries that are the few that are kind of in the same exact position, but that 51% is a number that people know because they see the sign in bars and restaurants and stuff. But it really, in this case, to shut uh, bars down, it was sort of arbitrarily picked out of the air. Um, I think just because they already had that as a kind of a line. Um, so uh, we're trying to get breweries open that have tap rooms, that have outside areas. Um, through the Guild, we're trying to get a lot more open as well. And again, the TABC is working with us to try to make that happen um, to their credit. All right. Well, let us move on to topic number two. Houston Restaurant Weeks has published its initial list of participating restaurants for 2020. This is uh, going to be a very different HRW this year. Obviously, it's the first time the event has happened since the passing of Cleverly Stone, who died of uterine cancer in May. Her daughter... Her daughter, Katie Stone, is running the event this year. Um, and also, you know, at a time when, as, as we've been discussing, restaurants are not open at their full capacity, uh, you know, they're not, they're not being asked to make the same donation. So instead of, instead of a tiered setup where it depends on the price of the menu, uh, restaurants are only donating $1 per meal sold to the Houston Food Bank. So uh, let, me, let me just throw it to you. I mean... You're a you're an occasional diner out. I mean, <laughs> do you is is Houston Restaurant Week something you look forward to every year? Yeah, uh, we always try to pick out one or two um, and, and head there. Uh, we also have a friend that has his birthday um, in August, so he always does a um, a, a birthday meal. Um, a tradition for us um, at the brewery is to pick a couple and do the lunch. So, you know, if you have kids, you have school to get to, not that any of that's happening at the moment, but you have softball and whatever activities, sometimes dinners are um, not doable, but like friends getting together at work and going to get lunch is a lot more doable. And sometimes, as you know, the, um, the deals are a little better as well. Uh, sometimes they'll even have virtually the same menu for five bucks less or 10 bucks less at lunch. So um, that's, you know, kind of one thing we always do. I think B&B is a place that we've done a few times uh, because it's always a good deal there and they always participate. Um, 
but yeah, it's, you know, it's something we like to do and it's kind of cool to see how it had grown over the years as well. I think everybody immediately upon hearing about Cleverly, first of all, I think everybody was just shocked and blown out of the water because we had, at least I had no indication that that was an issue. Um, and then I think everybody's next thoughts kind of turned to how can this survive? Um, and it's good to see that it seems to be still rolling and I hope people respond to it. Yeah. Did you, did you have a chance to look over the list? Did you see anything that sort of caught your attention? Yeah. You know, um, I, one thing you and I are going to talk about, I, I hope later in the show is kind of where we've been eating, uh, and, uh, around lately. And one of the things that's kind of been, um, unintentionally for, for my family is that we've sort of, um, done comfort food. And when I say comfort food, it means more places that we know the owner and like, or like the chef and have kind of a history of going there rather than trying out a bunch of new stuff. Um, I think, you know, we get to go, uh, usually once, maybe twice a week, but at least once a week. And we've kind of settled into just going to places that we like the people or familiar with the restaurant rather than taking a flyer. So one place um, that kind of jumped out to me that I, I think we'll definitely try to get to go from, um, because actually, and maybe you know the answer to this, Eric, are all the meals available to go? So I, I am not 100% certain, but I think, I think that is the intention is that, yes, the, the vast majority um, of the meals are available to go. Yeah. Well, if that's the case, then um, Backstreet is one of those places that, you know, I'm a huge fan of Hugo and Sean Beck and Tracy and their Ruben, their whole group. And we've wanted to get Backstreet at some point and it just hasn't ever lined up. So I think that that's definitely one that we'll do. Um, again, you know, been there before, know the people. Um, so I kind of, again, unintentionally, it's kind of stuck with that theme for us to, um, to go. And honestly, another one that's right down the street from us is um, BB's, um, one of their locations, you know, always solid and one that we haven't really had the opportunity to visit while we've um, not really been going to dine in at restaurants. So, um, you know, I, I think it's a, a good occasion to take advantage of some of those places that we want to support anyway. Uh, also, it doesn't hurt that the menus sound great as well. Well, that always does help. Yeah, I was kind of looking at that BB's menu in particular because I don't, I don't recall them ever participating before. And it really, it looks like, you know, all of the things you would want to get at BB's, right? Whether that's, you know, gumbo or crawfish bisque and, you know, snapper or fried seafood platter and, of course, bread pudding at the end. So I thought I thought that looked like a really compelling menu. I was happy to see um, both Uzo Bay and Lock Bar on the list because I think they're pretty outstanding in River Oaks District, maybe flying a little bit above the radar or under the radar. Um, and then Eugene's Gulf Coast Cuisine, which used to be, Stanton's in Montrose. It moved to the old Mockingbird Bistro space. Um, I've had a couple of good meals at Eugene's and, and I haven't, I haven't made it over there either for to go or for dine in, you know, since all this started. And so I think, uh, I think that's going to be on my list. And I, this may, uh, 
this may finally be my excuse to go to Kindi, the new Thai restaurant in the Heights. I have not, I have not made it over there yet. I was really happy to see them on the list. As a obviously seasoned diner, um, do you use restaurant weeks usually as a time to try new places or just visit old favorites? You know, I, before I was sort of dining professionally, I definitely used it to try new restaurants because that fixed price point, you know, is very compelling, right? It, it kind of puts a ceiling on roughly what you're going to spend. And I think that's very appealing to people. Now I, I, you know, I kind of like to snipe, you know, kind of poke my way through and, and see like, who's got the really good deal. Like instead of the, you know, instead of the six ounce filet that most of the steakhouses serve, like does somebody have an eight ounce filet or a 10 ounce ribeye or a, you know, a New York strip, like is, can I find like a slightly better value uh, with one of those options or, uh, you know, or maybe it's just a chance to go back to a place that I haven't been to in a while. Like I'm, I'm scrolling through the list. I see roost. I see fat eatery, you know, I see uh Patente, you know, those are all kind of places where, you know, maybe I haven't been to in a while. And so maybe, maybe that is a nice chance to go back there. And I, I sort of skimmed the menu for Patente this morning and I saw, you know, one of the entrees is soft shell crab and, you know, Danny Trace, I mean, he was at Brennan's for a long time. I mean, he definitely knows his way around Gulf Coast seafood. And so that like, that definitely has my attention. I'm glad you said, um, you said roost because that's one of those, it made me want to like zoom over there and check it out because that's one of those definite favorite for mine and my wife. Um, I've never had anything but a very, very good meal and good experience there. Uh, well, and I found out sort of quietly, they they're on open table now, you know, for a long time, roost was one yeah. of those places where it was first come first serve, but now you can make a reservation. So I, uh, that helps. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. You know, having that, that certainty that you're not going to have to sit in the heat outside waiting for a table, that makes a big difference. And if you're wondering, the fried cauliflower is on the uh, restaurant week menu. So it's on, that, it's on every menu that chef Kevin Adairy puts out. <laughs> it will always be on the, it's the only thing that will always be on the menu at roost. I think All he right. was a cauliflower pioneer almost maybe. <laughs> he really, yeah. I think he's the reason that Houston eats more cauliflower. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's some cauliflower farmer that can send his kids to college because of Kevin Gadarian. <laughs> All right. Let us move on to topic number three. Uh, what I call normal restaurant news, which is that uh, the Heights will sometime this fall or maybe, maybe, maybe very early next year have a new restaurant devoted to breakfast and brunch all day, plus some kind of lunch and dinner options. It is called Homestead Kitchen and Bar. It is a first time restaurateur. His name is Jeff Svenbold. And they're opening in the Heights MKT development. This is uh, this is on Shepherd, just north of I-10. It used to be a whole bunch of warehouses, and it's being repurposed into a mixed-use development. Um, Lenny, let me just throw it to you. This is a uh, homestead wants to have dishes with sort of three different influences: Cajun, Tex-Mex, and Southern, kind of the three tent poles of what I would consider to be Texas cuisine. Um, did you read the Homestead article, and are you intrigued? Yeah, I definitely am. And at first, um, when you sent it to me, I was uh, I was a little confused because I, I saw like Homestead uh, and 
And then I saw Tex-Mex and I was like, well, this has got to be a different place than he was talking about. That doesn't make sense. And, um, but then it kind of all came together. So for me, it's sort of like, hey, do you like everything? Then come here. <laughs> we uh, love everything. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, which, you know, I, I think um, could definitely work. Man, I, I, don't, I don't know about you. Um, at the outset, it, sign, it, it sounds like it absolutely um, would be a winner. But I have stopped trying to figure out what's going to work in Houston. There have been concepts that I think that are going to be a home run. And for whatever reason, it just doesn't work. Um, and then, you know, uh, Denny's gets voted like best breakfast in Houston by a publication or whatever. So, <laughs> yeah, the, the discrepancy for professional, like professional food writers and the general public is torchies, right? Yeah, right. Okay. I don't know. I don't know a single uh, food writer that really like eats there or, or even really likes it. Uh, but obviously their popularity is undeniable. So yeah, it's, it's, it's really hard to predict sort of what will take off and what won't, but I'm optimistic when it comes to Homestead. It, it feels like the right kind of concept. And of course, you know, if anything, the Heights loves brunch, right? So if nothing else, they're starting from a good place. Becky's got a brunch, man. That's, you know, that's, that's the rule. <laughs> uh, uh, but, you know, I, I think in, in just sort of reading um, what you wrote and looking at some of the pictures and stuff, um, I, I don't know what the exact term for this is. I always sort of called it like the El Tiempo effect, the Pappas effect, where if you give people like 13% more on their plates, you can charge them 50% more for a plate of enchiladas or a taco or whatever that is because of the wow factor when they set down a plate of food and how impressive it is, you know, like, right. I don't care what I'm paying for these cheese enchiladas at $25 a plate because did you see the size of them? And I, I don't know what their pricing will be, but it seems like they're going to definitely strive for that set the plate in front of you and you look at everybody that you're dining with and your mouths are agape. Yeah, I, you know, that had not occurred to me, but you're right. That is definitely an important part of the Pappas dining experience in particular, that overwhelming portion, you're definitely going to have leftovers. So yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's going to be part of the homestead experience or not, but it's certainly, it's certainly something worth considering. And then, you know, I, I was sort of, uh, he said that one of the primary influences on them, um, on him and his father kind of putting this concept together was Buffalo Grill. And I think anyone who's kind of lived in Houston for any length of time, you know, you've had those like giant pancakes. You've had the, maybe the comfort food for lunch. It's just like, I, I've always been a little bit surprised maybe that there aren't sort of more restaurants like that. And it, you know, Buffalo Grill updated for a 2020 palette with cocktails. That seems like a very winning idea to me. Did did you address at all a restaurateur looking at opening anything right now and sort of everybody's thoughts on, you know, do we do we do it now? Do we press the pause button? Can you even press a pause button right now? Yeah, I mean, I I think that you know, these things develop a certain amount of momentum. Obviously, they 
you know, you sign the lease a long, a long time ago and you get your permits and you start construction. So, uh, you know, I, I think you have to kind of go forward with that process and then sort of see where you're at, you know, see what the conditions are, but they're, you know, they're not slated till December or maybe January. So they'll, you know, we'll have a better fix on kind of what the situation is then. And obviously, hopefully it's improved dramatically and they can operate it, maybe not at, at full capacity and probably still with with gloves and hand sanitizer and masks and all that. But yeah, hopefully, hopefully we'll be at a, a sort of a place, you know, from a health perspective where it's it's reasonable to open a new restaurant. Reasonable and hopefully people want to go, you know, um, that they feel comfortable and want to enjoy it. And it's, it can actually be an escape for people rather than when you're going out, you're always thinking about, are they wearing a mask? Are they sanitizing their hands? Are they doing these six steps? Is there a plastic shield in between our table, you know, so that it actually truly is an escape. Absolutely. All right. And then topic number four, I just want to point out that the, Culture Map Tastemaker Awards are happening on August 6th. Bun B will be our host for a virtual event. That means you'll watch a video that's being streamed on the Culture Map website. There is a Best New Restaurant Tournament going on right now. We are recording this on Monday for a release on Thursday. So I can't tell you exactly which restaurants are going to be still active in the tournament because the voting in round one ends Monday night. So we'll be in round two on Thursday, heading towards round three over the weekend. So uh, Lenny, just briefly, did you look at the restaurants that are in the tournament? I did. And um, first of all, I'd like to say uh, that I would love to solicit for everyone to vote for St. Arnold in the best brewery category, but. But but that is not one of the categories that we decide by a reader (laughs) vote. That is already also, you're not eligible. Because right. you, well, that's, that's really uh, you're the defending, I mean. you're the winner in that category. You were last year's winner in that category. Yeah, I, I was really trying to look for a pat on the back of being the winner last year more than anything else, Eric, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I published the Best Brewery article, I got a lot of, what happened to St. Arnold? It's like, no, no, they won last year. We acknowledge that St. Arnold is an outstanding brewery and that if they were eligible to win every year they probably would win every year so we we make winners sit out for a couple of years you probably though hear that in the restaurant world as well I, I imagine right like people see a best restaurant list or whatever and they don't see their favorites so they just assume they were left out for some nefarious reason that's right they just assume that we hate them uh but that's that is the nice thing about of the year is that it it's slightly less static right because if you know, some new brewery, if a brewery has like a, a really great release that sort of catches people's imagination or they, they open a new facility that becomes very popular. It's like, it's a little bit, it's a little bit less static that way. How do you narrow down to a restaurant of the year? So we have a panel of uh, last year's winners become this year's panel. So I work with them to sort of curate a list. I give them like in, in any given category, you know, 25 or so potential candidates. And then they could write in if they, if they feel like I've missed something. Yeah. Uh, and then they all, from that list, they vote 
to pick finalists, and then we vote a second time from the finalists to pick a winner. Well, I, so I now that looking, except except for Best New Restaurant, which is a a reader vote, and that's what's going on right now. Okay. Well, there there are some in the the um, Best Restaurant that I think is kind of cool. Every year they could be a winner, but then you know you have some that are newer as well. As far as Best New Restaurant. But, you know, best new restaurant, (laughs) what's it would have to be for me, one of two places that are very different. Rosie Cannonball, which I ended up going to kind of by accident, like three times in a month for various things. Um, And it was great every time. Uh, But then also La Vibra Tacos, which again, we just kind of happened up on or maybe heard somebody else talk about it. There's a taco called uh, Volcan, I think, Taco Volcan, which is sort of like a cheese, crispy, shell, ridiculous thing. And so those are my very, very different uh, two winners, if I can can put those both out there. Yeah, we'll we'll see how they do. I think Rosie Cannonball, as we are talking, is is losing to mad in round one. So we'll see, but you know, they could, they could wind up making a tramp and come back overnight here and, and sneaking, uh, sneaking through to the next round. Uh, but certainly, you know, I, I'm on the record. That was my favorite new restaurant of, uh, 2019. So I'm, you know, I, I don't really root, but, um, but the tournament always produces fun surprises. Like last year's winner was uh blood brothers barbecue because they, you know, first of all, they do a great job. Second of all, they have such a devoted, following on social media, people were really happy to vote for them. And if you judge it at all, sort of by um, reaction and buzz, I don't know that you could argue with that one last year, uh, as far as people wanting to go there. Right. Well, but if you judge it by bathroom selfies, then it's clearly mad. (laughs) You know, there's not a better looking bathroom and bathroom hallway in Houston. (laughs) Point taken. I I don't know if that's a category, but it should be. Right. All right, Lenny, that does it for our News of the Week. We'll be right back with our Restaurants of the Week. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Lenny, for our Restaurants of the Week, I just want to know, as you alluded to earlier, where have you been getting either dining in or getting to go from recently? Yeah, so let me pull up my... Quick list here. Uh, you know, w- we talked about it some that um, we've sort of trying to go to familiar places for us. And so uh, we do a fun drink Friday uh, at our house where we get, Amber and I get fun drinks and we get fun drinks for the kids. And that can be from a variety of places. Uh, and then we also get takeout. And so we've gone to Cafe TH, love men there, love the Bon Me there, love everything. The Dumpling Dudes, we got some of their take-home dumplings. Um, finally tried Miko's Hot Chicken. That was a place that we were stepping out of our comfort zone because we hadn't been there before. Um, and then Stuff Up By Us, Lay By Get, was an amazing meal. The Vietnamese oh. steak and eggs. Out of the I know. I, I love that restaurant. I, I mean, I, I, I think that place is really outstanding. And the value too was out of this world. Also a coconut prawn banh mi 
was one of the best things I've eaten in a year, for sure. Very nice. Well, you know, it's funny because for the last two weeks on this podcast, I've said I'm not, I'm not dining inside. I'm not, I'm, I'm sticking to patios. I'm doing to go. And then the day after I recorded last week's podcast, I ate in a dining room. So I got, I got teased about that by last week's co-host, Michael Fulmer, because of course he had oh, yeah. just heard me say, he had just heard me say, I'm not, um, but I wound up at Fiore, which is a brand new Italian restaurant on Montrose Boulevard. I, I think most people probably still think of that as the Brasserie Max and Julie space. Because okay. After Max and Julie closed a couple of years ago, it was three different French restaurants, like in very rapid succession, uh, none of which really caught on. So I won't belabor their names here, but uh, Fiore is a new Italian restaurant. And, and I had a really outstanding dinner there with a couple of friends. And, and look, the menu is not groundbreaking in any way, but, you know, we had an appetizer of uh, like a hockey size, like an oversized hockey puck of fried burrata cheese, which was just gooey and crispy and delicious, you know, a super classic uh, spaghetti with clams, you know, just a, a super classic Northern Italian dish. They did a, uh, a veal milanese, like a bone-in veal chop, breaded and fried, uh, roasted octopus over potato puree, and then a whole branzino, pan-seared uh, and roasted. So, you know, just, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, there's like, there, there's always room for one more, like, pretty good, semi-upscale Italian restaurant or, or even very good semi-upscale Italian restaurant. So I was, I had a really, I had a really solid meal at Fiore and, and they've got that, you know, they've got a couple of, couple of floors with uh, outdoor patios for people who are interested in that. And I mean, the service and kind of, you know, they don't have a liquor license yet. Service is still a little bit of a work in progress, but, but kind of based on that meal, I, I'm hopeful that my neighborhood has a new uh, Italian restaurant that people can get excited about. Do they do the obligatory pizza as well? Uh, no, no. So it's not Italian American. So there's no pizza. No? Okay. There's no lasagna. There's no spaghetti and meatballs. It's like, uh, it's interesting in that sense that it's, uh, it's sort of Northern. I would say it's sort of Northern Italian. Hmm. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, we, uh, it's not been easy sometimes to pick where we are going to get takeout from, um, but again, just things we know that are going to be super delicious. Um, there's an, a newer sort of chef-driven wing place on Ella um, across from the old Shipley's Donuts. That's, a, that's the one Shipley's with an apostrophe S, mind you. <laughs> uh, because the rest of them are Shipley. Um, and uh, we've gotten that a few times. Obviously, that goes well with Fun Drink Friday. But... Um, I would say in the last few months, for sure, the best overall put together food has been lay by get with, without a doubt. All right. Well, very good. We are, we are running way long, Lenny. So I'm going to wrap this up here, but thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, it's really, really cool. Very fun. Yeah, man. Um, and I will be right back with Alex Brennan Martin and Marcus Gaspar. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? I am joined this week by two of the men behind Brennan's of Houston. Gentlemen, let me introduce you individually so that people can hear your voices. Proprietor Alex Brennan Martin, welcome to the show. Nice to be here. Wine guy Marcus Gauspole, how are you? Fabulous. Thanks for having me. 
Thanks for doing this. Alex, let me, let me start with you. I mean, I, you know, it was an interview that we did maybe three, four years ago that kind of is, is one of the experiences that inspired me to start this because, you know, we had a long Q and a kind of about 50 years of Brennan's and, and I just thought it would be so much easier for people to sort of digest the conversation if we gave it to them in audio form rather than make them scroll through, you know, 2,500 words of text. So uh, I don't know if you, I don't know if you knew that you played that role in the creation of this, but, uh, but thank you, I guess is, is, is sort of my point. How many shows have you done now? So this is episode 154. Well, that's a lot of people to apologize to, Eric. So I, I guess I'll have to start with that, but no, <laughs> no earthly idea. Um, Alex, let me let me just kind of start this with you. I, I mean, I usually like to start with sort of how people got in the restaurant business. I think your story is is pretty well known, and that you you grew up as part of this legendary New Orleans restaurant family, and your your mother Ella Brennan. Uh, was kind of the, the force behind Commander's Palace for for so many years, and now your sister your sister runs it. Um, when the family told you that you were going to Houston to supervise one of the restaurants, or, or maybe gave you that option, I mean, what was your what was your sort of reaction? Did you think you would be in Houston this long? Well, the answer to the last question is no. I, I had no intention of working for the family. I had been in France in culinary school and working in several restaurants. Got run out of that country when I uh, accidentally overstayed my visa uh, and ended up in New York and working in a couple restaurants. The, the late four seasons with Mr. Mogatai and Mr. Kobe was really the best job I had there. And I stupidly left it to go uh, work for the, the, the company that uh, had uh, Maxwell's Plum and Tavern on the Green. And they were going to open in San Francisco and they kind of lured me away. And I was working with them for about six months and realized I made a huge mistake. And uh, my family needed some help in Houston. The, the man that was running the restaurant was an Irishman. And uh, he, his mother was ill, was going to go back to Ireland for three, four, five, six months. And they asked me to come down and I agreed for that period of time. And I, we never really ever had the conversation of would you like to run the restaurant just one day, you know, there wasn't anybody else and it was me and a cousin of mine came over for a short time, but, but that's just family business, you know, it's not exactly, uh, not exactly a written business plan. So, so when did that sort of happen? How, how, how far into the history of Brennan's of Houston did that? Take? I, I got here right in time to see a little bit of the blow and go before the 80s oil bust. And uh, and then the bottom fell out. And as my mother said, um, I thought it was my fault. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of lived with so that's That's my time frame getting to Houston. So, Marcus, what about you? And telling friends, I uh, you know, I, I'm... I miss the good old days of the 1980s oil bust. I mean, at that, we were only having one crisis at a time. Uh, now we're sort of getting them a handful at a time. So, oh my gosh! I, I, oh yeah, no. We'll we'll definitely sort of talk about what how you sort of responded to this and and what you're facing. But let me, uh, sure, Marcus. Let me bring you in on this 
before we do sure. that, how did you, how did you sort of get into wine and, and kind of what was your, your path to Brennan's? I mean, I know you were at March for a little while, but uh, you know. Um, I always say it started with um, uh, a really pretty blonde uh, a long time ago. My uh, very serious uh, uh, girlfriend in my uh, early, early 20s, uh, was uh, born in uh, Budapest. And so, of course, the first thing that I wanted to do as someone from um, Pearland, Texas, was go to Europe <laughs> and visit her family. So it, it, long story short, uh, my first time uh, in Europe was um, uh, basically in a, in a region called uh, Shomlo, uh in in Hungary on her uncle's vineyard. And just kind of a really cool uh, experience, kind of an eye-opening experience. And uh, I say that's kind of like the bug that bit me. And then ever since then, I've kind of grabbed every book and experience and, you know, snuck into as many tastings as I could, you know, before I was, um, you know, officially kind of like employed in the industry. And long story short, just kind of um, just I realized that it was a uh, uh, a passion that I wanted to follow. Um, and I don't know, I think it's, it, I think it's more of like, you can do anything you want uh, to a point. It's just as a matter of how much investment and what you're willing to give up to, to, to do that. And so that was my focus. So that's how I kind of got into the wine industry. And I, I worked for um, Clark Cooper for a number of years before I went to Mark's and uh, before obviously going to Brennan's. So yeah, and then how long have you been at Brennan's? At least a couple of years, right? Uh, Mother's Day was my four-year uh, anniversary. So. Wow, very good. All right. Um, it only seems longer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Alex, Brennan's has this reputation as kind of the the training ground for Houston chefs. I mean, you have you have this incredible family tree. I mean, starting with you know, Chris Shepard and Mark Holly, and maybe more recently, uh, you know, Patrick Fijis and uh, Bobby Matos. And I mean, we could, we could probably just keep rattling them. Oh, off it goes back further than that. Mark Cox. Uh, right. And uh, you know, so we've been very fortunate to have a, a, a number of wonderful uh, uh, chefs and, and, and other folks come, come through the restaurant and it's, um, if if you said is there a concerted plan to do that, we, I, I think we just try to be a good place to work and 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 we try to help people along in their careers. A long time ago, um, I understood and I learned it from my mother and my uncle um, very much that you know great people are going to come into our business and work with us, and oftentimes, if not most often, on their way to somewhere else and. We, we want to encourage that. And uh, so we've never, uh, I've, I've never begrudged anybody moving on, doing something different. I don't know. May, I think it's just the, the way you walk the talk. Um, if you can help people learn something more, if you can help people be uh, become something that, that they, they want to be, then, then that's a really nice way to earn a living. Um, so that's kind of yeah. the plan. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it just, it seems like to a certain extent, you know, if you're, 
if you want a serious career in this business in this town, you almost have to do you have to put in your year or two at Brennan's. <laughs> I. It, yeah, I guess. I guess. Look, we've had some wonderful people, and 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 it is, it. it I, I guess it is part of our culture. Um, it's always been part of our culture. Um, I remember, sort of as you know, a teenager, and uh, you know, doing work around commanders. And when I heard Paul Prudhomme was leaving to open K. Paul's, we had just opened Mr. B's, and uh, I, I remember being. Yeah, I very clearly remember this being shocked. And as I was coming in the front house, there was my mother and Uncle Dick on the front porch of of of, of our house. I would often find them together there and along with other folks. And they were just, I was just like, I can't believe y'all are letting Paul leave or did you run him off or something? And they were, sit down here, stupid. Let me teach you something. And, uh, <laughs> you know, they said, this is a great thing. Who's going to be the next person? And um, lo and behold, it turned out to be Emerald. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, I think it's something very early on I understood. I, I, I guess that's part of why it's, it's been part of our culture here. Just makes a lot of sense to us. And Marcus, let me, I mean, what about Brennan's made it seem like the right fit for you, kind of coming out of Marks, that that, that was the next place you wanted to go in your career? Well, I didn't know it at the time. Um, you know, I, I was lucky to to work pretty close with Mark. I mean, I was uh, managing uh, the restaurant as well. Um, and, you know, without me really understanding, uh, there's probably more Brennan's ideology, you know, with Mark Cox than, than maybe he realizes. I mean, things that he was teaching me and kind of that was in the way that he talked about certain things. Um, definitely those things were apparent, like when, when I got over here. So it was kind of, you know, it was kind of serendipitous. Um, uh, and just, I mean, I, I think when I told him I was coming over here, there was kind of like a, Oh, okay. Well, you know, <laughs> all right, well, good luck to you, man. You know, I, I, I get it, you know, but I had a I had a great time uh, with Mark and can't say like you know more than amazing things about that guy. He he was a really great chef to work with. But coming over to Brennan's um, definitely just a a little bit uh, definitely a a bigger and busier kind of uh, a restaurant uh, to work in. Just just a little bit more going on. Um, as far as just sheer volume, we'll, we'll say so. Um, so it's well, been, it's been fun. Well, right. Like on, I mean, on mother's day, you guys will see, I mean, not this year, obviously, but, but in past years, I mean, you, you could see more than a thousand people come through the doors, yeah. right? I mean, easy. Yeah. No problem. So kind of kind of getting used to used to that, uh, definitely took me like a few months to, um, to understand the ball was rolling and I was going to roll with it or was going to roll over me, so to speak, you know? So it's been, uh, it's been pretty fun. Yeah. Alex, I mean, you know, when I think of kind of coming to Brennan's, I mean, we, you know, my family celebrated my mother's, uh, I, I think she'll, she won't mind me acknowledging this, her 65th birthday there. Um, but, but also her 40th birthday. So in some ways, you know, it's been a, it's been a part of family celebrations for me for a long time. And, and I know it's been that for uh, a lot of generations of Houstonians. I mean, 
what's it sort of been like for you guys when, you know, we're in a moment where we can't really have those kind of gatherings right now? You know, this is a, uh, I'm having a little bit of deja vu going back to when we had the fire uh, during Ike and we were shut down for those 20 months. And, um, you know, one of the things that kept us afloat, kept me afloat, kept Carl Walker afloat, kept the, those of us, the little group in the lifeboat that we were just trying to hang on and get to the other side, um, was just the outpouring of comments from, from our guests and, 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 and folks that have been coming for many years and many times from folks that we really didn't even know. Every once in a while, we get a letter or an email to the website and I go, gosh, Carl, I don't know this person. And he goes, neither do I. Um, and, and, but yet they would come every three or four years. It, it just, it, it was, well, look, man, if, if that doesn't light your fire, then your wood's wet. I mean, it's, it's, it's seeing young people like Marcus seeing, um, uh, I mean, Marcus has done some great things while we've been closed. Talk about pivoting. He's been doing some amazing things, um, uh, uh, keeping our wine program vibrant, but also producing bucks that we all need during this time. And, and, and so it's just, you sort of take good people and put them together with people who are, walking in the door in a good mood, ready to celebrate and, you know, and, and, and don't screw it up. I mean, that's, that's the plan. And the, it, it's, it's really about sometimes Carl and I joke that, you know, we're watching this place for Houstonians. It's not really ours. And, um, and, and that's really not saying that in a, in, in a self deprecating way or, or anything else. I mean, Marcus knows that the, he's experienced some of the people coming to the front door, picking up food to go. Now, let's just face facts. Fine dining food ain't built to go. All right. And, you know, it's, it's you know, the Italians, man, they were brilliant when they created pizza, you know, all those thousands of years ago and the pasta all those thousands of years ago that one day they knew they were going to have, you know, uh, a, a great advantage in the restaurant industry because that food travels well. Well, our food don't. And, uh, and turtle soup and that sort of thing. But, but so people are coming, not getting the full on experience, but happily paying for, for food to go. And, and we would stand there and just talk to them in their cars. And I, I mean, it's, it's why we do what we do. They would tell us the memories. They would tell us how they were wanting to come back. We, we had a very small little wedding here on, on uh, Sunday brunch and, and I just spent time with them and the grandmother and the grandfather were telling us about how they had their rehearsal dinner here, you know, went back in the junior league and then the mother and father had their something or other here, maybe a bridesmaids and now the daughter, the granddaughter and daughter, they were getting married here and it was only 15 of them and, they wouldn't do it any other place. And it's, it's, it's our pleasure. We're lucky. Yeah. Um, I mean, have you, right. You, I mean, you're right. You know, snapper poncha train or, or, uh, you know, roast duck or, or some of the other dishes that you guys do maybe. Yeah. The sauces don't travel well, but, but have you kind of figured out how to kind of do the best you can and, and get that food to people? 
Yeah, I mean, well, okay, so we're doing we're we're doing a lot better than we were. That's for sure. Um, we're all focused on hell. We're selling food at HEB. I mean, that, and that goes talking yeah. about the family tree, and that, that goes back to Randy Evans, who was a, uh, our executive chef. Worked here the same time that Chris Shepard did. Randy had the uh, restaurant. Doggone it! I'm not going to call the name. It was kind of over there, right off of Kirby in the Southwest Freeway. A little yeah, off- it was- Haven. Haven. Yeah, Haven. Haven. I really like the restaurant. He he left and did that right after the fire. Um, and Randy's now, you know, in the corporate world at HEB. And when the when when HEB came over there, Texans helping Texans, Randy picked up the phone and said, "I know you guys won't screw this up and make me look bad." And you know, so now we're you know we're selling food in HEB. So certain things work really well. Certain things not so much. We're we're learning that. Yeah, you can't do the bananas foster to go. No, no, we have not figured that. All I'm going to tell you, we're working on that. We we have there may be a bananas foster sauce before you know it, but uh, uh, it's it's you know get you a banana and some vanilla ice cream and you can do it at home. But um, we'll we'll see. We're working on it. Yeah, as long as you aren't encouraging. People to flambe. No, 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 no. There's a liability component there. I don't think. (laughs) No, thank you. Good idea. We will uh, do not try this at home. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, Marcus. Let me let me bring this back to you. I mean, are there? Obviously, you've made the the Brennan's wine list available to people to go. Are you noticing any sort of specific trends? Are there certain either varietals or or prices or or what kind of what kind of wines are people taking home for the most part? Um, so a lot of kind of like, dare I say, like comfortable selections, like, you know, let me just give you an example. I think in four days I sold four cases of Rombauer Sauvignon Blanc, like, you know, just, just, and we sold all kinds of other stuff too. I mean, don't be wrong. We're selling, you know, uh, classic Napa Cabernet, uh, we're selling, um, selling a lot of Chablis, uh, a good amount of white burgundy. I think that we're selling things that people are comfortable with and are at comfortable price points, whatever that may be for them, for that type of wine. Um, but just like kind of like, for, for example, we're doing um, right now we're doing three packs. We're doing like trio three packs to go. And um, one thing that people have really been digging is I'm doing kind of like a, like a summer white burgundy three pack and it's Bourgogne Blanc, Chablis and Aligote, you know, you know, just like tried and true, delicious, like, you know, white burgundy that isn't going to cost you your paycheck. You know what I mean? So things like, things like that, I, I think that people are like, um, the, the, they just want things that they're, they're comfortable with. I, I think so we're, we're seeing a lot of that, a lot of rosé. Percent a lot rosé. So yeah, and I'm not going to mention anything specific though. But but there have been some extraordinarily <laughs> expensive wines Marcus has sold here. Uh, they, you know, come up with some of the top names when you call out expensive wine, and I've I've seen it come through the POS. <laughs> well, we, you know, we have you, had some collectors, uh, some kind of just buddies of the restaurant that have. You know, I mean, I mean, we're not we're not selling everything. Don't be wrong. You know, if oh, I got no. if, if I got twelve bottles, I'll 
I'll sell, you know, four or six or whatever, you know, um, we're, we're, we are invested in, in, in maintaining the selection definitely, but that doesn't mean that, that, you know, it's kind of exciting for, for, you know, a collector to grab a bottle that, that they've been after. And, you know, I don't know, there's, I, I enjoy kind of, you know, special rare wine, just like anyone else. Um, so it's been, it's been fun to be able to share some of those gems as well. Turns out the Gospel family was very famous in, in the Middle East rug trader family. <laughs> Marcus has been wheeling and dealing like he can't believe. It's I mean, been fun to watch. I mean, are we talking like, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I get, I get really bad at like names of super high end wine, but like, if you had like a screaming eagle go out the door, like somebody, somebody cherry picked the list. We'll, or- we'll just say something, you know, something too equivalent. There's been, there's been a few kind of um, like pretty like, like nice condition, like older Bordeaux that we've um, um, sold. Uh, definitely, you know, well, one thing that it's funny, I started getting calls from like all around the United States and we we're not like mailing anything. I don't think it's even legal for us to do that. You know, we're selling, you know, at the restaurant with with food. Right. Um, but, yeah, I had collectors calling me from New York and San Francisco and Chicago, you know, after uh, uh, some of our some of our burgundy that we've um, kind of collected. You know, you know, when I came on four years ago, um, <laughs> I don't know if, if Alex remembers, but we were we were in an interview. And uh, it, we were kind of just, you know, but I, we were kind of just hanging out and talking about, you know, people in the industry we knew, whatever. And he said, you know, so we kind of brought it back. He said, well, why, why do you want to, why do you want to work here? And I, and I was kind of joking with him. I said, I just want to sell some good burgundy, man. You know, I just want to have a good time. And he, and he said, there's two, there's two kinds of wines in the world. There's, there's wines that are uh, from Burgundy and wines that are not from Burgundy. So, so needless to say, a good footprint. Um, of our wine list and kind of, you know, wine investment since I've come on has been, you know, in France. Um, not that we don't have a ton of domestic wine. I mean, uh, Ella Brennan was, has, was pretty instrumental in, uh, you know, supporting uh, Napa. It's, you know, some key wineries that she really, really invested into early on in a very special way before a lot of people. Um, even really we're drinking Napa. Uh, but, uh, but since I've come on, it's kind of, I always kind of joke. It's like, we got a lot of Burgundy. We got a, we got a lot of California wine, you know? So we've, we've been selling both of those. Yeah. Alex, let me, let me ask you kind of from a customer perspective. I mean, what are people sort of telling you about the dine-in experience? I mean, do they, do they feel comfortable? Do they feel nervous? Are they, you know, what's it, what's it sort of like catering to people right now? Well, I, let me, let me kind of try to answer it this way. I think there's three groups of people out there. I think there's a group of people that are never leaving their houses again. And fair enough. I, I got it. Um, then there's another group of people that are, you know, they're cautious. They're going to stick their toe out. They're going to look around. They're going to be, they're going to, See, hey, what precautions are, are, are is this business taking, or do I feel comfortable? And that's well and good. And then there's the another group that is, where's the bar? Get out of the way. Um, and those folks, we have problem with just keeping them socially distanced. 
Um, the, a lovely couple who we see half dozen times a year and, and, and they came in the other day and uh, the other evening and I was visiting with them and they said, I want you to know this is our first time out since this whole thing started. We've been getting groceries delivered. We've been getting uh, uh, prescriptions delivered. We've, you know, I mean, we, we are, the husband said, I've put gas in the car a couple times. But I, we're, we're, we're really being cautious. And she said, look, I, I did some research. Um, I went to your website. I saw, you know, what precautions. I read something called the Texas Restaurant Promise that we're supporting as member of the Texas Restaurant Association. I think they've done a phenomenal job. Um, at any rate, they came out and she said, we walked in and we, we had an agreement with each other that if we weren't comfortable, either one of us weren't comfortable we would just go ahead and go. We would go ahead and leave and we wouldn't stay. And she said, I'd like you to come over here and look at my, my phone. And she had her Facebook page up and she was Facebooking everybody saying how comfortable she felt. And there were all sorts of replies. And our, our, our marketing person has told me that, you know, a number of people liked it and we found it on Facebook, however the hell that worked. But, you know, so it, it's, it's, we've had all types and um, I, I think I, I, I think it's just folks are going to have to get comfortable. I think the Texas restaurant promise has been a big deal. Um, I think it has given a standard um, uh, that's pretty easily uh, understood by the, by the customers and something the restaurants we have, we can sink our teeth into and, Hell, we're not virologists. We're 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 restaurant people, and so you know I, I think things like that are going to be helpful. But uh, hey, look, there are no two two ways about it. I mean, it's it, it's slow, and I saw Tony Valone quoted just the other day tracking what he said about business was we were building nicely, and then we've had this latest surge, and well, folk, you know, it's just gotten slow. Now, of course, it's also July in Houston you know, which is, you know, the bottom of the year for us. Um, so we'll see after we come out. I think restaurant weeks will be a, a very real test for where the Houston public is on, on going to restaurants. Right. I mean, usually you would be, you know, full, right? Essentially during HRW, you're, yeah. you're, you're one of those restaurants that, you know, people really see the value in that, that fixed price menu. We have written the largest or one of the handful of largest checks to the food bank since this thing has been going every year. We, 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 we're, we're quite busy during restaurant rates. Do you, do you think that this, um, this kind of change where you're only donating a dollar per meal sold? I mean, is that, is that going to help you out? You think I was on that phone call with Brian green and uh, over at the food bank and he, Brian was trying to say, please let's do, let's do, let's do it but the restaurants keep all the money. Tracy Vaught, myself, who else was on? I'm going brain dead right now. And we jumped on and said, no, no, no. And we hammered it back and forth and settled on the dollar. We, I personally believe it's, it's, it's really important uh, to have the, the donation part, not just from a business standpoint, but that's the spirit. Look, cleverly, um, you know, the, the, absolute nutcase that she was a lovely human being it, it it 
what she started, we got to keep going. That's just the way these, this thing works. And so Tracy and I, gosh, who else was on the call? It was just three or four of us, but, and we were like, no, 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 no. Right. And then Marcus, let me, let me shift gears slightly with you, which is, you know, you said you're selling a lot of Burgundy and that's kind of been your focus. I mean, are there like, are there trends that you sort of want to include in the Brennan's list? I mean, like, is, is natural wine ever going to be a thing at Brennan's or is that not really a fit for, for what you're doing? Um, I think, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, uh, natural wine, I think has been just in general has been a really interesting um, movement over the past, whatever, 10 plus years, whatever you want to consider the, you know, the predominant, you know, popular movement of natural wine. Um, there are producers that we carry, a lot of producers that we carry that are definitely um, biodynamic um, and some producers that um, are, you know, plus or are more natural. Uh, with that being said, I think I think any wine director of a more um, bigger, more classic list uh, would tell you that the the only thing that I really care about is that that wine is delicious. So um, we've definitely focused on, you know, or, organic wines and biodynamic wines, just me personally, um, and definitely love a lot of um, natural wine producers. Um, but it's not necessarily something that I have um, pushed, um, I'll say, because a lot of our customers, I think they just want a really great uh, produced wine. I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, Soder is uh, kind of like old, I mean, at this point, kind of old friends of mine, old friends of the restaurant, and uh, they have a beautiful vineyard, um, uh, Mineral Springs Ranch, that is, you know, 100% biodynamic. I mean, the, the property is amazing. It just, it basically feeds, um, feeds itself. It's, it's absolutely incredible. Um, if you, you know, maybe that some people wouldn't consider that, you know, quote unquote, um, natural, uh, but it's definitely pointed in that direction. I'll give you another example. Uh, uh, Arista is um, a producer in Russian River Valley, and actually, Arista um, would be defined um, uh, as as natural wine through and through, but it doesn't really get marketed that way. Um, I market it as probably one of the best Russian river, uh, wines for value that you can drink right now of, of the slightly newer generation, their second generation. So, um, uh, but, um, but yeah, so there's definitely, you know, more natural minded wines on our list. Um, but I've never made it like a big focus. I, I think like anything, um, in the wine world, uh, the pendulum will start swinging back and natural wines will be more of just a normal thing for um, a lot of people and how they produce wines. I mean, no one wants chemicals in their wines or, or, or things that are like, like unnatural. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, la I was in Burgundy last year and I don't think, I mean, I maybe, I maybe visited 30% weren't of the producers I was visiting weren't you know, biodynamic and we're organic, you know, I mean, people are, people are very educated and, and conscious of, 
how they're making their wines and, and, you know, they don't want their kids in the vineyard if, if that vineyard has chemicals in it. So I think in general, a lot of people that we do business with, um, you know, feel somewhat the same way. Um, so I think, I think in general, that's a, that's a trend kind of, of the, um, of, of the wine world, you know? And then Alex, we're, let me, uh, let me conclude this by sort of bringing it back to you. I mean, you've, as you sort of alluded to, you've seen the, the oil bust, you've seen hurricanes, you've seen, you know, all kinds of changes in the restaurant business. I mean, how do you kind of feel about the future? I mean, do you, well, yeah, let me just, let me just leave it at that. How do you, how are you sort of feeling a, right now? That's a hell of a good question. Um, I, I'm reading everything I can get my hands on. As a matter of fact, I've got in my inbox right here, a article from Harvard Business Review on the restaurant industry. Look forward to getting into that a little bit. I, I, we, we, we've just got to get to the other side and I can tell you things are going to look a hell of a lot different on the other side. Um, it is, we're the country, heck, I guess the world, certainly Houston is going to lose a lot of good, good restaurants. And going to lose a lot of good jobs, and and not only in the restaurants themselves. I'm scared to death for our supply chain. I'm scared to death for for the guy that brings us our shrimp and our soft crabs. I'm scared to death for our small distributor that we've worked with a billion years, um, and and you know we make up a good chunk of his business and other restaurants like us. I'm scared for the small wine distributors that are are taking on product that the behemoths and look, I don't have anything against the big guys. We buy a lot of wine from them. Um, but I'm, I'm really worried about, about our entire supply chain, the folks that grow our blueberries, um, you know, the things that make our food taste just a little bit different Um because they all don't come in the back of an 18 wheeler. Um, and look, the big guys, Cisco and those folks, they've got their troubles too right now. So I think there's going to be a reset of, of a lot more than just the end result of the pipeline, which the customers see of the restaurants. It's a, it's, it's going to be big. And, you know, I think a lot of folks took on, you know, when things were kind of blowing and going and, you know, you can get nominated for this award or you can, you know, get this notoriety or this attention and folks were open in restaurants and good restaurants, but boy, they were, the economics under which they opened them weren't realistic. And I looked at a lot of those deals before people signed the leases. Um, and you haven't seen me open anything because the economics haven't made any sense for a long time. And I think that's gonna. I think that's going to come back and and unfortunately wash out. Painful, painful to watch. Um, you know, we 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 keep. You know, we've been hit by enough catastrophes to know. You know, keep a rainy day fund, and we always have. And then on top of that, we keep money for our insurance deductibles, and we've got all that. We've got that money in the bank. And hey, we signed up for the PPP like everybody else. I'm really glad. It's been adjusted as it has going to make it much more useful, much more that we can help more of our people with it. 
but I don't think that's going to do it. Um, I, I really don't think that's going to do it. I think there's going to be a lot more heartache between now and then. I hope I'm wrong. like to be wrong. Um, it's going to be tough. No, I, I really appreciate your insight. And I, I do want to end this on a, a slightly uh, sillier note. I have the, yeah. uh, the lightning round. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Marcus, let me start with you. What is your favorite cookbook? Uh, this is a funny answer, but Carl Walker's cookbook is actually my favorite cookbook. Um, and I've been trying, I've been, I've been trying to get him to, to reprint it in some way. So, uh, we, wishful, are. we will <laughs> wishful is my, is my word. Uh, Alex, how about you? Cuisine of the sun, Roger Verger. I had the distinct pleasure of working at Moulin de Mujan when it was a, a four star. Very nice. Alex, what is the first band you ever saw in concert? Oh, man, that was the, it was the volunteer jam in the Superdome. Charlie Daniels, Marshall Tucker, Allman Brothers, Wet Willie. Who am I, who am I leaving out? All those long-haired country boys. But we, I would see a lot of entertainment at Tipitina's and, you know, a lot of soul and, you know, Marvin Gaye and the Meters who became the Neville Brothers. and Grew up in the Very North nice. a lot. Marcus, how about you? Uh, I saw you two a long time ago when I was really little, uh, and it was pretty awesome. So, all right. What is Marcus? What is your what is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive through. Um, Taco Bell, cheesy gordita crunch. <laughs> Alex, how about you? I, I will have a. A couple times a year, uh, uh, original uh, from uh, JCI. Uh, I, I will I will have a couple dogs every so often. There you go. All right, Alex. What is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Oh, got to be Nolan Ryan. Yep. Got to be Mar- Nolan Ryan. Uh, Marcus, how about you? Jeff Bagwell. All right, and then Marcus. Finally, when you go to a pizzeria for the first time, what are your go-to toppings? Pepperoni. Alex, how about you? Whatever my wife is ordering. She's been ordering this strange combination, and it's pretty damn good, and I still can't remember everything. It's Uh, pretty good. Italian sausage, (laughs) onions, roasted garlic. That's She always – no garlic if it's not roasted. I'm leaving stuff out. All right. Uh, Give us the website and the social media and all that for Brennan's. Well, hell, uh, Marcus, you better do that. Uh, Brennan'sHouston.com, uh, and then uh, uh, at Instagram, uh, uh, Brennan's Houston. Very good. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. Thanks. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on CultureMap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.